Welcome to another episode of the Daily Wisdom Words Podcast, where every week we talk to folks who have stories, advice, and life hacks, all of which take you one step closer to that feeling of hope. I am your co-host, Neil Torelli. And I am your co-host, Rini O'Day. Hi, Taylor. Welcome. Well, let me introduce her first. She's a special guest. She deserves a big intro. Talk about ADHD. I'm not that special, (laughs) y'all. Okay, I'll stop talking now. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, yeah, she's an occupational therapist and fellow podcaster, Taylor Millsap, is it? Right? Yes, Millsap. Yeah. Hey, welcome. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming Absolutely. on. I love the way you yeah. spell your name. It's different. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You wanted me to be yeah, different and special, so here I am. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's but unfortunately, autocorrect doesn't feeling. always know that. So it's I like know. every time I I try to email, whenever I emailed you, it would like change. And then I'm like, stop it. Damn it, autocorrect. Stop That's that. That's what I'm it did with yours, it. too. And I'm really yeah. cognizant about that because mine is always right. spelled wrong. I just give up unless it's someone like really important. I just give up. I'm like, yeah, yeah. God, that's my I name. Know. What's up? <laughs> I know, <Hi>. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you are our very special guest today. And we're really, really excited to talk to you because you have such a great career. I mean, come Thank on. You. Thank you. It really is interesting. So would you tell us all about it? Because I yeah. think it would be sure. fun. Um, so I am a long-winded talker, just so you know. Sometimes I ramble, so feel free to rein me in. Um, but there's, well, there's a I've lot my- to me. <laughs> I'll give you the we shortest like version that, I can we muster. We like talkers. So. <laughs> No, 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 no. You talk, you talk. Okay. Yes. Um, so hi, everyone. I'm Taylor. Um, you may know me as Dr. Taylor, SOS with Dr. Taylor. Um, I have a platform on Instagram and TikTok, Survivors Overcoming Silence. And the whole idea is that it's about survivors who are kind of coming together. I'm a trauma survivor myself. I was silenced after years of abuse. I was raised by a narcissist and who was also physically abusive, mainly emotionally abusive, but then when they lost their cool physical abuse as well. Um, And then I just kind of realized that I grew up in generational trauma and these patterns have been happening for a long time. Um, So my therapist helped me realize that what I went through was complex trauma, which we can talk about in a little bit as well. Um, But it's a little bit different than typically just one event. It's just a whole bunch of little things put together that impact someone's development and stress responses and all of that. Um, And then I have a little brother who is special needs. He had a stroke when he was a baby. He's around one. Um, And that drew me to occupational therapy because I worked Mm -hmm. one-on-one. Like I was like big sister turned mom um, who would like shadow his occupational therapist. And then when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, she was like, Hey, do you want to shadow me for the summer and work with kids? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I just like came around and then I was 12 years old and I was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, um, the passion morphed, it morphed to be into trauma. Once I got into OT school, I've always wanted to work with domestic violence victims or something, but I didn't realize, I thought when I got out at 18, that I was good. Um, and very clearly that was not the case, right? That was actually the beginning of a very deep healing journey for me. And so 
I had this desire to help people, but I just didn't have the ability to. So I graduated OT school. In the middle of there, I found this focus on childhood trauma and occupational therapy um, from a conference. And the presenter is actually now one of my mentors, um, which is just wild to me because she used to be someone who I looked up to so highly. And now we're like peers. And I just wow. had a doctorate experience on childhood trauma and OT. And then I just started creating my own thing after OT school. And here we are. It's kind of morphed into advocating for trauma survivors and sharing my story and just doing things differently because I don't really fit into a box. <laughs> One of the things I know that caught my eye when we were like discussing the direction of this episode on email and something really interesting I found when, when you mentioned that and you just uh, also alluded to it now is you were raised by a narcissist. Now, one thing yeah. you made sure to point out in the email is that you said, well, and not what people today call narcissists. So narcissism is actually, it's a personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, right? So I'm not a psychologist or psychologist, psychiatrist by any means, but you know, when you're trying to right. figure out what happened to you, you're like, Oh, Hey. Um, so basically it's a personality disorder where someone has this very high sense of self, almost like there's different types There can be overt and covert. Um, but the one that I dealt with, they had a very grandiose sense of importance, very little empathy, um, very manipulative, very calculating. And then the moment that things didn't go their way, they basically threw a fit and tried to destroy me, um, as a child. So it was a lot of mind games and we're best parent? friends until we're not. Yes. Unfortunately. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. And so the emotional abuse that I dealt with from that it was really more psychological in nature. It was, you know, to the point where at first, like, I thought we were best friends. And one of the things that I've noticed too, is that there is this stage in relationships with a narcissist where some people call like love bombing. It's like this, like utopia, everything's wonderful. You're amazing. Oh my gosh, you're my best friend. It's just like, more than you can ever imagine. They build you up and build you up and build you up and just make you feel incredible. And then they get the power so you feel comfortable around them and then they pull it out from under you. And that's the pattern that I saw consistently happen with my parents is that, oh my gosh, you're such an amazing kid. And look, even I was the straight A kid, right? I was the smarty pants. And to me, I realize now I was escaping my home environment and I was trying to be teacher's pet and get the praise and love and affection that I didn't get at home through having good grades and wanting to praise, you know, be, get the praise for my teachers and being told that I did a great job. Right. I wanted that consistent attention from teachers, but then it was yeah. always look at my kid, look what they do. The moment that it was a B it's, you can do so much better. And I would get in trouble for things oh. like that. Yeah. So it's anything How? you are a reflection of them period. You are an extension of them. And if you are not serving them, then you're a threat. And that's definitely what I experienced in my childhood. Trauma by definition is a subjective experience that someone yeah. deals with. Okay. After right. a distressing mm -hmm. or potentially harmful or actually harmful or life-threatening event, that someone doesn't have the resources to cope with. Now this can be internally, like they don't have the skills. They don't have maybe the awareness. They don't have social emotional skills. They don't know how to manage their emotions. They, you know, like there's other skills within them that they might not know, which children, a lot of the times don't have those unless their parents have them. Right. Um, and even then right. it's mm -hmm. developing. So I think you're more susceptible to trauma in childhood, but also mm -hmm. 
the external resources or supports can be a buffer for either trauma or not. So do you have a safe environment? Do you have safe relationships, right? It's like some people can, as say as adults, can get in a car accident and say there are almost like two people in the exact same car accident. One walks away with it being a traumatic experience. The other one, it's not a big deal. Okay. Like they have, maybe they didn't financially have any issues. Everything was taken care of. They weren't really hurt. You know, they have social support. It was, you know, an easy process for them. They weren't having nightmares after the fact or anything like that, but say the other person doesn't have social support it financially stripped everything from them. They were in the hospital, you know, there's just more factors going on that lead to it being a long-term traumatic impact. Does that make sense? Yeah. So absolutely. I think that it depends on the person's life experience. It depends on the person's skill set, And it also really, I think, mainly determines the environment and the social supports mm -hmm. and like the physical safety that people can access or not. And of course, there are going to be some things that are going to be, no matter what, are going to overload your system that your body can't cope with that's going to be traumatic, right? Those are those big traumas that people usually classify. But there are other things that can be traumatic that aren't necessarily that like not everyone would classify as trauma, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we carry trauma in our spinal cord and we can get it from three generations ago. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, that's why everybody has it. People don't realize that what your grandparents did is, you know, in you. In All your spinal plays cord. into, yeah, mm -hmm. generally. Yeah. We actually yeah. did an episode um, on that like a few, few months ago on, we had a transgenerational trauma expert and yeah, yeah. she was like, it goes back so many years, so many generations than what people yeah. think. It's like, it just that, and also it's also, isn't it that sometimes you mentioned like much of the time, an obvious example is bigger things happening that may emotionally scar you. But sometimes it's even those little things that may be planting the seeds that maybe you're not even aware of when you're younger that okay this is really hurting me and then as you grow older they come out in different ways and in trauma or other mental health issues right absolutely mm -hmm. so one of those things that some people would think like oh it's not a you know it's it's a small thing think about like body image let's talk about you know people just commenting on your body consistently or having a mother growing up who comments on Oh, are you going to eat that? Or a mother who's really focused on diet culture for themselves, right? Those little things. And that's actually one of the things, um, there's this book called how to do the work by Dr. Nicole LaPera. And it's, it's one of my favorites to go to for people who don't understand the smaller impacts and the smaller things that can be traumatic and impact someone. Um, she has some really good examples about how little like feeling invalidated or not heard or seen or anything like that can actually show up in ways that are traumatic for adults and can impact our behavior down the road if we don't work on that stuff, right? So while that may seem like, and eh, not a big deal, and in a dysfunctional family, that's normal, just get over it. But that's yeah. not how our brain works. I, I would like to see a non-dysfunctional because I think we <laughs> seriously right. are, you know. Yeah. Fair, you very know, fair. You don't know what goes on, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors, you know, that's yeah. just, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. also I think just parenting styles and what they've experienced. And if you don't realize something is harmful and you're not actively working to break the cycle, it would make sense that that's just naturally going to carry on to your kids. Like if yeah. I, 
you know, yeah. I have every opportunity to be very manipulative. I could be absolutely horrible as a human being. I know I could, mm-hmm. um, you know, I grew up in a house where I would learn to manipulate and that's the only way that you get attention positive or negative. Right. So, right. you know, I saw mm-hmm. that used against me. So as a child, you become hyper aware to that. Not only was my brain turned on for safety and connecting mm-hmm. patterns in that way, but now I'm like, okay, well, I would know how to get what I want in any situation. Right. I know how to pull yeah. the power away from someone because it happened to me for so long and I recognized it. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. if I didn't consciously recognize that, I probably would have subconsciously been getting my needs met in that way in other with other relationships down the road, potentially in future children. And, you know, if I didn't learn how to manage my emotions, who knows? I could have been physically abusive. So it's yeah. very interesting because if you don't consciously look at these things and actively work to heal them, you're just going to continue. And the thing about being in a family that is like more toxic or dysfunctional, especially generational trauma, it seems normal until you're out of it. Well, Are you and that's the thing. With your parents, if I may ask. Um, actually, now? so I know I am no contact okay. with my whole family. And that is a choice that I made somewhat recently. I've been no contact with my primary abuser, the one who was physically and emotionally abusive and like very mm-hmm. manipulative since I was in my early twenties. Um, However, I decided to go full no contact with the other parent who was kind of the enabler and also kind of a victim in this scenario, but Mm -hmm. actively is still really harmful emotionally and very self-centered and negative and, you know, continuing patterns themselves that they're not willing to look at. Um, And also I was really the scapegoat in my family because I'm the one who's speaking up. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's saying, Hey, this is wrong. So if someone's not willing to look at themselves, what are they going to do? They're going to put it on you right? They're going to say, Oh no, you're the, this is all you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was happening consistently. And I actually found when I, so after grad school, I went back and I lived with the other parents while I was taking my boards and like getting established as an adult. Again, I moved 3000 miles away from grad school. And then I came back and needed to find a job and all that stuff. And I stayed for a few months. I think it was like six or seven months. I was so depressed. I didn't have any emotion. I didn't have any energy. I was like lethargic. My face, like it was, it was very, very interesting. Even to the point where the other parent was like, what's wrong with you? But I was being ganged up on consistently by the sibling who was acting very similarly to the other parent. And then the other parent was just constantly like, oh, you're too much. Oh, you're so emotional. Oh gosh. Why are you like this? Every second of every day, I was just criticizing for existing. And so the first time I got away from that, I went to Boston 3000 miles away was the first time I lived for myself. And I started discovering myself and I realized who I was and it was just coming into myself. Mm -hmm. And then I did all this growth and I was so happy and excited and I earned a doctorate and I came back and I just went back into that environment and I felt myself having to be smaller and smaller and smaller. The more I would fight back, the more things would escalate and the more miserable it was. So I just ended up taking it all and it just sucked all the energy from me. And so I realized I was like, wow, this is more dysfunctional than I thought. And originally Mm -hmm. I thought that other parent was my good parent and my best friend. They really never were. They weren't my protector. Mm -hmm. They were looking out for themselves always. Sure. When I went against what they needed, then I was a problem. So, you know, I found a very similar pattern between both parents, except for one was more physically and like over the top. And the other one, it was, it was a little bit more manipulative, a little bit dig here and there, but still really impactful. And so, especially when I started doing like my podcast and things like that, they're very against it. And every little thing. Why? 
um, because I'm calling him out probably as part of it. Oh, Um, good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also I think that, you know, for, I was told that like, I would think trauma is getting the wrong slice of bread on a sandwich I ordered. Like just downplaying to the point where they're like, you're just making this up. This didn't happen where, you know, it's like, it wasn't that bad. You're acting like we locked you in a closet. And I'm like, I wasn't able to emotionally connect to you at all. I was being physically abused, looking for safety. And you run the other way and act like you didn't see anything that, you know, like as a seven-year-old being told it's their fault and we'll stop making them mad for being a child for being a little goofy something. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I just, I don't So I have a really hard time with that being an adult now with my fully formed brain and looking and I'm like, I just, I'm not saying that you can change the past. I would just like for maybe some accountability and us to be able to work to change how we speak to each other a little bit. Like I'm willing to meet you halfway. And unfortunately they weren't able to, and they just told me it was my problem, how I react. And I just need to get over it. And I was like, well, I don't have any problem with anyone else, but you. So I don't think it's yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Once I got rid of that, I realized that my inner child felt so unsafe around that family that mm-hmm. I went on this deep inner child healing journey. And actually there was a huge chunk of my childhood that I didn't remember that after I was safe, when I was doing EMDR with my therapist, I remembered these pieces and I've realized why both parents were not safe to me now. And it, it hit really hard at first because no one protected a little seven, seven-year-old girl. Like I had a memory of me being held by my wrists, by my primary abuser and being hit. And I was, I guess, probably like seven, eight years old. And I remember looking over and I see the other parent who has purse on the shoulders looking by the garage. And I'm like, help me, help me like crying. It was like, they looked me in the eyes, almost like a better you than me. And then left the house as if nothing happened. And maybe they blocked it out. But to this day, it's like, you just left your child there. And again, I recognize how hurt someone must have to be and how much Mm -hmm. they probably had to be through. And I know a little bit more about their childhood now, so it makes some sense, but When it eventually came out when I was 16, that's when I finally broke the silence and it was like, no, there's something really wrong here and started fighting back for myself. They acted like they knew nothing. And to this day, they're like, no, it didn't happen. What are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't have a very sensory detail memory and then crying. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards being told by my abuser, that was your fault for making me do that to you. And then- going to my room, sobbing to myself, looking in the mirror, hitting myself in the face repeatedly saying, why did you make him do that again? I was left in that. And so of course my inner child. So they're both narcissists. They're both narcissists. I know for sure that the one is the other one. Mm -hmm. I know definitely is emotionally unintelligent. (laughs) No, emotionally unavailable for sure. Um, manipulative, self-centered, could be covert narcissism, but honestly, I don't know for sure. Some days I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, yeah, definitely. Some days I'm like, eh, maybe they're just really, really detached. I don't really know. Um, I think there's hope in the other one, but they don't want to do anything about it. So, you know, I, I do have hope that someday they'll come around, but I really, I don't know. I don't know. We, we yeah. always say, we always say no. There's yeah, always there's always no, and that's the, you know, and I think I do see hope in, I don't think you have to like 
re and like have to make an effort to believe in it because when I see you and what you're doing today and how much you're helping people via your podcast, via all your advocacy and everything that you're doing, to me, that is the start of huge hope that you're giving everybody yeah. else and in the process, hopefully giving it to yourself as well. Um, so I'm doing this for the generations to come. Like I know I'm breaking generational patterns. I recognize this, right? And what I wish you could understand is that I'm also doing it for them. Like I, you know, it's not just for me, like I'm leading the way, but I would love for you to join me. I would love for you to be able to emotionally connect because how hard is it to go through life? I mean, the hurt, like the one parent, I'm being very clear to say parent and parent because tricky. Um, but the one parent for me that I'm like, eh, maybe covert narcissist, maybe not. Um, it's hard because there are moments with that, that I had happy memories. They took me uh -huh. to all of these, like, you know, these acting lessons and I did choir and they, they did all the things they physically provided and did all the things. But when it came down to any kind of emotional connection, shut down, right? It, you know, I even remember wanting to scrapbook with them and did for a little bit. And they were just like, oh, get out of my space. And now could that have been a parent with a stressful day? Maybe. But also I look back now that parent doesn't have really adult friends, doesn't have healthy relationships, um, you know, doesn't really, has never been to therapy, has very odd relationships with their own family um, that are not emotionally healthy, just acts like problems aren't there. And then, oh, if I'm just, they literally told me if I'm just mad at my parent, I just ignore it. And then I talk to them later and it's no big deal. We act like nothing happened. I'm like, hi, that's not healthy. <laughs> so, you, right? you know, it's just like, it's a very big emotional disconnect. We don't have emotions. We don't have problems. We don't, you know, we just, we just act like nothing's going on. Eh, no big deal. Eh, no big deal. Actually, just, just get yeah. over your PTSD. Why do you keep making yourself upset? Like just nothing, no positive mental. Oh, okay. I'll yeah. just get, I'll just get rid of my PSTV. Exactly. Yeah, right yeah. there. Bye-bye. Exactly. It's like that it's level like, well, of, when I was push first it down. diagnosed with uh, clinical depression and I, I apologize for interrupting, but I'm no, just so fine. glad you made that point. I'm, I'm, it's over because everyone who didn't understand much of my family didn't understand because they came from a generation where mental health was just not talked about and yeah. anything, if you were, abnormal in any way you were just crazy that's a, oh they're crazy yes. they belong in the right and it was like well why, why why are you even thinking sad thoughts why don't you just binge on a sitcom for god's sake read a joke book you know and snap yep. out of it it's like yeah yep. I, I really wish i could i really wish it were exactly. that easy but yeah you can should anybody you just that out. You, but you do not have to be uh in contact with them ever yeah. Do you know what I see? You know what yeah. I'm saying? So people I out there, I, yeah, I mean, I forgave people in my past and just forgave them and said, you know what, but no, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to go to dinner with you or, you know, whatever. I think the topic of forgiveness and abuse is challenging because there's a lot of, I think you can let things go and not let it impact you to the way where you're storing it and holding it. You can work through it and you can process it. But for instance, the, the other parent who was very purposely manipulative, who whispered in my ear once the, like all this came out in front of the cops, please let me talk to my daughter, then held me and gave me a big hug and whispered, I'm going to make your life a living hell, then pushed me back and said, bye, sweetie, love you. That's something I cannot 
absolutely cannot oh, forgive. Right? Nor wow. will I ever. Did you, now the other did you, one. Did you, did you tell the police what you said? Yeah, but what, then when you say there's, so the defense was they were in the middle of a divorce and well, yeah. they're just a hormonal teenager that's trying to butter up this side for the divorce. So they've been, they've been brainwashed to make evidence. So anything, this is all just fake. Like I, I literally was, it was reported that same day when they locked me out in the summer and threw me into the gravel and then locked me out, then called the police on me for being abusive. They said they watched me put gravel imprints into my arm and smear my mascara to make it look worse when I was actually doing the opposite and trying to make myself not look like a mess because I didn't want to be judged. I was thrown out in the front yard and thought somehow I was going to get in trouble. And so it's that level of manipulation where they tell just enough truth and twist it to get control and then play the sympathy card, right? So that's when I became, I mean, there's a lot of disconnect in the story, but basically when I was 15 turning 16 is when the abuse finally came out. Um, and I recognized fully what was happening and divorce was going to happen. I was told about this secret divorce and right before Christmas and said, don't tell the other parent because they're going on a business trip out of state for six weeks. And while they're gone, I'm going to move out all the, my stuff and do what I want. And then I'm going to come back and hand them the divorce papers. And the parent who told me was wow. the one who was the most abusive. And that's a lot to wow. put on a, a teenager, right? Don't say anything. Yeah. Right? right. So I ended up saying something and then they told me because I ruined their plan and therefore their life, they were going to make my life a living hell. And they've tried to ever since. Wow. Wow. So that is the epitome wow. to me of narcissism and psychological mm -hmm. abuse. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, wow. wow. Thank you for wow. sharing <laughs> yeah. that, by the way. I know, it's, for it's, sharing that. That was very yeah, nice. I appreciate you being that open and, and talking, oh, yeah. will, be willing to talk about it because not, not everybody would be. And I totally get that, even for those who are mm -hmm. not ready or, you know, everything takes time and we have to, you know, yeah. we have to speak out on the platforms that when and where we feel comfortable. So I get that, mm -hmm. but thank you for being so open. We really appreciate that as oh, we, absolutely. We, you know, content creators. Yeah. And so, I think too, and that when you talk about emotional abuse and psychological manipulation, a lot of the times the abuser looks like the good guy, they're charming, they're mm -hmm. liked in public, right? Like it's very, it's sometimes so subtle. Um, mm -hmm. but they know just how to play it. Right. Like I always knew exactly. that my abuser knew exactly what buttons to push to get me yeah. to finally react. And then when I did react would sit there with a camera and say, see, you are crazy, right? There was so much gaslighting going on. I'm going to show this to everyone. You're going to not have a job when you're older. You're not gonna be able to do anything. No, one's going to ever love you. If you know, they, if you do find someone, I'm going to find them on their wedding day and I'm going to tell them to run away from you because you're crazy. And if you say anything to the police, you're going to get in trouble and I'm going to lock you in a mental institution for punishment, like those types of things. But then was told also crazy people don't think they're crazy. So I'm the only one who can tolerate you. This is, you know, you're lucky. You're lucky. I can tolerate you. You're lucky. I'm treating you the way I am. It was like by the great, you know what I mean? And so I'm like, so, but here's the thing is there was enough of doubt put in my brain with that gaslighting. And I don't like using the word crazy. But that's, that's the narrative that was put in my head. And so now this core wound is if I think differently, if I am doing anything, stepping outside of the box, whatever, if I'm not received well, 
oh, you're crazy. That's a core, core wound now, right? Even though I've been working through things yeah. so much, that's one of the things that stuck with me is that deep yeah. gaslighting that has impacted my psyche and my self-perception. Now have I done so many years and worked through so much? Yes. But that used to keep me from doing anything in life. And right. it was to keep the power that what happens in emotional abuse is they don't want you to trust yourself because if you do yeah, trust uh -huh. yourself, then you realize what's happening and then something has yeah. to shift, right? They have to get in trouble or they get held accountable exactly. or they lose power. Yeah. So they, mm -hmm. they prey on people with lower self-esteem or they make sure you have lower self-esteem and don't trust yourself. So you don't fight yeah. back for yourself and you also kind of aid in the abuse yourself. You mentioned like one thing, a major step obviously was cutting off the people who are not serving your mental health. Yeah. What are some of the other steps? Because you, you mentioned this is just such a recent journey, right? Last two, three years when you seriously started coming on. To, what are yeah. some steps you took to come to that realization and start building that journey of hope for yourself? Yeah. So the way, so I kind of have this metaphor. Um, so I have a Lotus flower tattoo on my wrist. I don't know if you can see that. Um, yes, but yeah, yeah. the whole idea behind the Lotus flower is it is the flower that goes to the deepest, darkest mud to bloom, to be this, this beautiful, mm -hmm. resilient thing. Okay. So my logo is the Lotus flower and I, my whole logo actually. So it's like, there's the brain, which is the roots. So I think the first thing that you have to do is you have to recognize, build strong roots. Okay. And that is mm -hmm. understanding your brain. First of all, what is trauma? What, you know, like I actually, this is, this is not who I am. This is a trauma response based on something that happened to me. There's that first part of like, it's called cognitive restructuring, recognizing it's mm -hmm. not your fault. You're not the problem. All of those things that you were told, right? So really working with the brain to figure all that stuff out. Um, and that can come through trauma education and having supported people and just starting to learn what is healthy versus what isn't right. Mm -hmm. And then right. also managing your emotions and nervous system regulation is a huge component. When you are someone who has dealt with trauma, your nervous system is going to be in survival mode more often. You're going to be more yes. on guard, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you go back to like the, the nature examples in the wild, like if there's a gazelle who saw a lion once, maybe that gazelle is going to be a little bit more on guard, but just kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. But if the gazelle has barely gotten away with their life in an attack from mm -hmm. a lion and has a scar, then maybe they're always going to be ready to jump at the side of a shadow, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's looking, right. it's like literally fighting for survival. That's, that's, that's yeah. how our body is wired. It's just, we see everything emotionally, socially mm -hmm. as a physical mm -hmm. threat. Our body reacts in that same way. So it's run away or shut down and mm -hmm. play dead or make ourselves like a chameleon blend in and make sure we can't be seen or detected mm -hmm. as a threat. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we're completely yeah. mm -hmm. overloaded, then mm -hmm. we freeze. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So, that's what we do. So we have to learn that maybe not every little thing that our body is reacting to is a threat. The person who took 15 minutes to, to call you back because they were busy, maybe they don't secretly hate you, but you've been taught mm -hmm. through manipulation patterns that that mm -hmm. was something that happened, right? So mm -hmm. recognizing what is survival brain versus what is happening in the actual situation. And that's building self-awareness and connection with yeah. your body. With trick, 
okay, triggers, what do you recommend? In like yeah. some grounding techniques. Favorite um, one that I've ever yeah. done for grounding. Um, so first of all, I will say that anyone who's experienced trauma, it, looking up the connection with the brain body connection is, is very, very important and understanding that in healing. Um, there is just energy stuck when we get into these triggers. Like I get We're really big anxiety. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if we have a lot of this, like the stress hormones and everything circulating in our body, because like when we were going back to the science that I was talking about in the wild, things that happen in survival mode, like our immune system starts overacting to make sure that if there's a threat, like if we get mm -hmm. slashed, then it'll be able to pad mm -hmm. and make sure that, you know, we don't bleed out. Right. So all of right. these things that would physically be threats are still happening in our body. We still have this stress hormone cocktail that's there. So yeah. like, mm -hmm. if you need to be able to act fast, you can, but what happens when it's always there, your body starts to deteriorate, right? Like you start mm -hmm. to really, I have an autoimmune condition. There's no other, anything in my mm -hmm. family. I'm mm -hmm. convinced that it came from the toxic stress. And there's actually research that is showing that, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so there, there are different types mm -hmm. of things. So when you have a trigger, it's recognizing, okay, what do I need to do that this stress response is happening? How do I get this out of my body and then ground myself and bring myself down? And then I can start working through my emotions. And then after the fact, I can think through when my logic brain is able to be back online because your logic brain and your survival brain really can't. <laughs> coexist at the same time. So then after the fact, you can go, okay, no. why did that happen? When did I feel this way last? You know, what, how did I talk to myself? What can I do next time better? Right. So it, you have to get through your body first. So grounding techniques, one of my favorite things to do. Um, so there's this sense called proprioception, which basically is there's, mm -hmm. so we, we, we were taught there were five senses, right? The basic sight, yeah. smell, taste, mm -hmm. touch. There's more than that. <laughs> so when I was in occupational therapy school, um, we talk a lot about sensory integration. And this has mainly been used with like, you might've heard with like kids with autism. Um, but I found it really helpful with trauma survivors and myself. I was like helping OT consult myself in OT school um, to help regulate our emotions and our nervous system states. So proprioception is the sense of where your body is in space. If you've ever closed your eyes, mm. you, you know your hand exists, right? You can right. close your eyes, yeah. most people, and know, oh, my hand is close to where the light switch is, right? You right. can even, yeah. most people can close your eyes and your wrist can go up and down and then stop and you know your wrist is pointing down or up, Yeah. right? So there are receptors in your, deep in your muscles and in your joints that help you understand where your body is in space. If you are in a survival response, you're, you probably pretty disconnected to your body. You're either zoning out or shutting right. down. Right. So one of the best things you can do is give yourself extra proprioceptive input to tell yourself, Hey, I'm in my body. I'm present. I'm safe. So anything you can do that's either like pressure. So like if, if you think of like a massage, right if they, there's a deeper massage, you're going to kind of feel more grounded afterwards. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, mm -hmm. but you feel really connected yeah. to your body. Mm -hmm. Versus if someone Absolutely. is just a light, yeah. a light tickle, you're maybe not going to feel that. Right. But mm -hmm. if you're wearing like one of the things that I used to do, cause I had higher anxiety at baseline, I wear tighter clothing 
And the reason is because I have more compression on my body that helps me recognize Mm -hmm. that I am connected to my body. Mm -hmm. I'm getting more input by having that tighter than a looser, flowy clothing. The other thing you can do is like weight bearing exercises, anything that where you're pushing, pulling, lifting, heavy things, um, pushing on a wall is a really good one. Giving yourself like squeezes up and down your arms on the top of your head. Um, one of the things I do is kind of like a prayer pose, but this is one of the best ones for grounding. If you want to connect, when you're doing proprioceptive input, the more joints you can involve, the stronger it's going to feel, right? So I sit there and I do like a prayer pose where I have my hands completely straight, my fingers pointed to the ceiling. I'm pressing with my wrists, I'm pressing with my elbows, and I'm kind of pushing inward with my shoulders. If you push hard enough, you can feel that in all your joints. Right. Yes. Definitely. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. Yes. Wow. So yeah. by doing that and then also taking deep breaths with that, you can push really hard. You can push same thing against a wall. Um, you know, that kind of helps you bring you back to your body and naturally starts to ground you. Well, tell us about your podcast that we didn't even get to, like, I wanted to oh, know. Gosh. We were I guess, well, you I was going to ask you, grid- how did it start in de- all the details, but I, since we're running out of time, I guess You're just fine. tell us where, what it's about and people can, yeah, so tell us, how did you, how did you think that, okay, I want to do this podcast, which by the way, folks, is one of the best podcasts ever, please. Thank you. What's it called? Uh, it Taylor, second. tell them yes. what it's called. Tell us. So, the whole idea. So I started with survivors overcoming silence. Right. Um, and the idea is that it's this present tense because healing is a constant journey. There's a lot of stuff out there that you need to be healed. You're fixed. They can, you know, like there's an end point and just like growth, there's going to be new things. Healing is a constant thing, right? There's always layers that we can peel back and layers and layers and layers, which then our body feels safe enough and brings us to something else. Um, you know, and so there's, there's going to be different triggers. And especially those of us who grew up in trauma, there's just going to be stuff. We can learn to build resilience. We can learn skills to support that, but we're going to constantly be overcoming something in our lives. That's just the nature of life. Right. So the thought behind survivors overcoming silence was actually when the pandemic happened and I was laid off March, 2020, like right when things started shutting down, I was a new grad. I was in a pediatric Mm -hmm. clinic. I had the least experience and I also had the doctorate. So I was, you know, probably making enough. And, um, Mm -hmm. so I I was let go and I actually found myself feeling relief. I knew eventually that I would get into somehow trauma and OT. Um, but I wanted to get some clinical traditional experience first. That's, and also that's what I was told to do. So I was like, okay. So I did, and I love working with kids and, you know, um, but then when that happened, I realized that there were news reports of abuse going up because it brought me back to this mm-hmm. feeling of being trapped with my abuser. But I, I mentioned before that um, one of my parents was gone on a business trip out of state for six weeks. And that six weeks was the mm-hmm. most traumatic period of my entire life because the abuser had full control over really? how I ate there. You know, they were, mm-hmm. they were fighting over a divorce. So like our power went off at one point. I, you know, I, it was so bad. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Um, and was just very manipulated and, and told that I could do things. And then the cops were called on me and told, I will, I don't know where you are. I'm going to call you in as a runaway, like that kind of manipulation. So I was just stuck in abuse and I, I wasn't able to get out. And the one time I did, I was called, the cops were called on me. 
said that I left belligerently. Right. So, um, it was a period that when I saw this in the news about the pandemic, it really brought me back to that trapped feeling. And also there's a lot of stress happening in the world. So if there are people who are abusive, they typically are people who don't have control of their emotions. So if there's more stress going on financial or otherwise, they're taking it out on others in the household, but also Mm -hmm. people don't know how to get help. And so I was talking to my mentor at the time, not the trauma one, I had another OT mentor. Um, and I was like, I'm just, I'm very frustrated because I'm seeing these abuse rates go up and nothing can be done. And she asked me and she was like, well, what would you say to them right now if you could? And so I told her and she was like, so go start a page and do that. And at the time I was tailor-made OT. I was yeah. just OT. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was mm-hmm. talking a little bit about trauma, but I was mainly talking about like activities to do with kids. Right. Um, yeah. But I realized mm-hmm the mental health need when I was in pediatrics and that parents had challenges with and that kids had challenges with and throughout the pandemic that it was a collective trauma. And so I started a page and I started off just, this is my story. I'm overcoming silence. SOS is like help. Right. So I came up with the whole thing. I was super excited. And then I always had wanted to be a speaker be on stages. You know, I was, I was a choir and drama kid. So like, that's why I can talk. Uh. (laughs) I love it. It saved my life, yeah, right? You're um, awesome at it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and so I'm like, well, I would love to do a podcast, but no, I don't know. And at the time, I had just barely gotten comfortable sharing my story, um, let alone publicly. I was really afraid of like the professional judgment from like, you know, seeing yeah. as incompetent or anything like that, right? Like if I say I'm a survivor too, I'm going to lose all credibility professionally. And so I eventually, I started doing that. I ended up getting into an episode myself where I, I had to take a little bit of time off. And then I went back into therapy and started EMDR. And I just realized that like, I had a story to tell and how many people had been through things similarly and people didn't know what trauma was. And so what I found is that people in the pandemic, because they were so activated, there were a lot of safety threats. Their nervous system was like that. People were having a lot of connections to when I felt like this last that as humans, when the world stopped, we were forced to look within. And so there was a lot of awakening to trauma. And so Mm -hmm. I just, I kind of Mm -hmm. started supporting people and I found other pages who were Mm -hmm. doing stuff. But so Uh, overcoming (laughs) is the idea. So I started off with just survivors sharing their stories because I wanted people to feel less alone. And then I realized I am a professional and I have things to share that's really valuable on the healing journey. And I'm in a unique like idea and position to be able to be a survivor that's not only has the professional background, I then later started a certification to be a certified trauma professional. So I was trained alongside the people who are processing trauma to get some education and some certification and how to support people educationally. Um, And like, I knew all the stuff and I'm like, gosh, if only I had known this sooner. So I started sharing some of my professional knowledge and some of my personal stories that people feel less alone and here's some tools. And so the idea was everyone is overcoming something. And I would have the first season, especially would have survivors come on, share pieces of their story that they feel yeah. comfortable with and then what they would do to help them in their overcoming journey. And it has evolved yeah. to people, not just trauma. You know, we had Darius from beyond anxiety, just talking about anxiety. Um, you know what I mean? So now yeah. I'm like, I'm bringing on more professionals and let's talk about, you know, I brought on, we're talking about parenting. 
how to, you know, parent when you've been dealing with trauma yourself, you're waking up to be like, well, I don't want to be like my parents, but I have triggers and this is hard and little ones are loud and messy and they test your patience. Right. And I don't, I don't want to hurt my yeah. kids. So how do I do right. this as a trauma survivor? Right. So things like that. And it's just really just yeah. different tools and really connection as the vessel in understanding and decreasing the stigma around trauma and healing and it's the whole life overcoming journey. That's really what it is. Are you on TikTok? I am. I am um, on TikTok and Instagram as SOS with Dr. Taylor and it's T-A-E-L-O-R, which is probably yeah. why I'm okay. able to like find all my domain names because no one spells it like me. So, yeah. I mean, someone does, but not as many. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, we're out of time. Yeah, of course. And this is going to be a long podcast. We have got to do a part two. There are like too. five, six yeah. questions. Yeah. That, yeah, I haven't even I know, we haven't gotten to half our questions. Because, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. kiddo, you have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk yeah. soon. Okay. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.